This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested, now playing. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us. Imagine trying to help persecuted Christians in Sudan and ending up being persecuted yourself. That's what happened to my next guest who was leading Voice of the Martyrs Ministry in Africa and found himself arrested, sentenced to life in prison, and caged up with cellmates whom he learned were members of the Islamic State. Peter Yashik spent 445 days in prison. Now he serves as Voice of the Martyrs Global Ambassador, and he is out with a very powerful book about what he went through. It is called Imprisoned with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil. Peter, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Janet. Thank you for the invitation to your show. Oh, thank you. Well, talk a little bit about your background as a Christian first. That's what really interested me as I was going through your book, because a lot of people have heard about your imprisonment, maybe not so much about your background. You actually are the son of a pastor. Your parents were actually monitored and interrogated by the secret police under communist Czechoslovakia. Can you talk a little bit about how your childhood shaped your own experience as a Christian? Absolutely. You know, I'm thankful for the fact that I uh, could grow up in a Christian family. Uh, You know, even though uh, we all know that uh, we cannot uh, inherit the kingdom of heaven, we have to be born into it. So uh, when I was about 15 years old, I was a freshman in high school, you know, I... uh, I came to the conclusion that I really wanted to commit uh, my life uh, to Jesus. And uh, that happened, you know, when I was in the Eastern Germany at the time, in the uh, summer youth camp. And that was the moment when I made this decision. And shortly after that, I asked my father, you know, to baptize me. And uh, quite shortly after that, uh, the persecution uh, in our family really started because uh, my father was a pastor in the official church, but of course, you know, the official church was quite closely monitored by secret police. Every church used to have one or two uh, secret co-workers of secret police who informed, you know, about any suspicious activity in the church. And uh, that's why my parents decided to work rather in the unofficial underground church, uh, which meant, uh, you know, a great uh, risk at that time. And my parents were organizing a discipleship training uh, for young people from various denominations. And I have to say that many of them were from no church at that time. They were just believers in Jesus. And uh, of course, you know, this became in the focus, in the viewfinder of uh, the secret police. And uh, shortly after I was baptized and I was active in sharing the gospel amongst my schoolmates and even the teachers at the high school, I came home one day and I discovered that both of my parents were interrogated, arrested, you know, in two different places at the same time and interrogated. And uh, I I remember the the time when my father returned home and uh, saw me be scared at the time. And so he went to his library and just gave me uh, one book that he had there. It was in German language, but I was fluent in German at the time. In fact, English is my fourth language. So, <laughs> And he said, read this book. And it was uh, Richard Wombrandt's book, In God's Underground. Yeah. And he said, read this book. 
it will encourage your faith. And I can uh, say that after Bible, this is the second most important book I ever read in my life. Mm-hmm. And it has changed my perspective on persecution. When I read about Richard Wurmbrand and uh, how the Lord was uh, helping him to overcome uh, inhuman beatings and inhuman torture, brainwashing, I stopped being afraid of persecution. And, um, you know, later on I told about um, uh, this book to my uh, new brother in Christ, my schoolmate at the university, you know, who became... Uh, also a believer in Jesus, and I prepared him somehow for uh, what he could experience as a Christian in communist Czechoslovakia. And he was deeply touched by this book, and we know from the book of Daniel that, you know, the Lord is the one uh, who is setting up kings and removing kings. This is in Daniel 2.21. And so, you know, even though I never believed the, the communist dictatorship could ever finish, uh, in our country. It has happened in November 1989, and we got freedom back. Um, and uh, for us, those who have been once helped by courageous believers from Western countries who were secretly bringing Christian literature and Bibles uh, into Czechoslovakia. In fact, I got my first Bible when I could ever read and write uh, that was uh, brought by Dutch people uh, Hmm. to communist Czechoslovakia. So when we were set free and we knew that there were still Christians uh, who were persecuted, uh, we founded uh, quite shortly after the fall of communism in Czechoslovakia, we founded the Voice of the Martyrs in 1992. And it has been always a great privilege for me uh, to serve those who are now persecuted because I have once experienced what it uh, meant to be served by others. And I think this is fully natural and I always consider it as a great privilege, you know, and the Lord gave me later on, you know, the uh, fact, you know, the um, opportunities to meet and interview and later on help uh, believers who have not only lost their material things, like houses being looted and destroyed, uh, cars being burned, you know. I met those who have also lost their beloved ones, brothers, mm-hmm. sisters, parents, children. But I uh, had a special privilege to meet people whom I consider heroes of my faith, heroes of faith, actually, you know, those people who have also uh, lost parts of their own bodies because they didn't want to renounce their Christian faith. And Mm -hmm. from them, I have learned, you know, uh, that they considered the persecution as a privilege from the Lord. That's the way how they understood. And later on, I had this also uh, the privilege to understand it um, from the first hand, uh, you know, that persecution is an essential part of a Christian life. You know, that was what we experienced under communism. And later on, you know, when I had this privilege to serve uh, the persecuted church, I also had the privilege to suffer with them. Goodness. Wow, what a story. There's just so much in there, and I know people will want to read all about it in your book. But you had actually been in Sudan before you were arrested. You you talk about different times that you, that you had been there. When you went the time that finally got you arrested and taken to prison, what was your mission that day? Because you were only supposed to be there, I should say, four days was the length of your yes. visit that time. What was your mission and objective on that particular trip? You know, I was supposed to document persecution of individuals as well as uh, whole congregations. Um, I was supposed to interview one young Muslim background believer student who uh, was supposed to be killed because, you know, it was and it is still a crime for a Muslim 
to uh, uh, convert to any other religion or abandon his Muslim faith, that is punished still in Sudan with death penalty. And I saw the pictures of this young guy who uh, was um, uh, terribly burned because, uh, he, you know, the firebomb exploded in his uh, hands. Mm. And uh, I was so, um, uh, you know, touched by seeing his picture. And uh, I said I needed uh, to just uh, uh, go and visit him and uh, document his injury so that uh, the voice of the martyrs could help him uh, practically, you know, in his uh, treatment. And I also saw pictures of church buildings being completely demolished. You know, if you visit the country of Sudan at that time or now, you could see uh, church buildings from many denominations. And, uh, you know, you can see people going in and coming out, and you can easily get the false impression that there is a religious freedom. But uh, it is not, you know. And in fact, you know, those pastors who have been encouraging their church members to follow Christ's Great Commission, to make disciples of all people. And it means also from the Muslim majority people, they will be arrested, interrogated, repeatedly arrested. And if they still continue to do that, they, their churches will be demolished. And that they always find, you know, I mean, the authorities, they always find a reason, false reason to, uh, to demolish their church buildings. And that was what I was supposed to do there. And I have successfully, I would say, accomplished everything what I wanted. The only problem was that I was closely monitored by secret police. In one sense, that was there was no surprise in it. But, you know, uh, when I got arrested in the airport, at first I thought it was just a kind of routine uh, pre-departure check, you know, that I have experienced many yeah. times in other countries like in Central Asia. And but it wasn't. It, yeah. Hang on just a moment. We need to pause for a quick break. Peter Yashik is with us talking about his book, Imprisoned with ISIS. We'll pick up the story after this on Janet Meffer Today. Hi, everyone. This is Janet, hoping you had a wonderful Christmas celebrating the birth of our great Savior, Jesus. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. And so as we come to the end of 2021, I just wanted to let you know that my time to speak on Janet Meffer today is ending as well. I've been a nationally syndicated Christian radio host for the past 12 years, including more than six great years hosting this show. Now, I believe the time is right for me to move on to the next thing the Lord has for me to do. The greatest blessing I've ever received in my life is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've been really privileged to help keep you informed on the news and issues of the day and to try to offer you biblical encouragement from a Christ-centered perspective. I want to thank the owners and managers of all the wonderful Christian radio stations who have aired us all these years. I want to thank all our great sponsors as well and the ministries who have made this program possible. And most of all, I want to thank you. You've tuned into this show. You financially supported the ministries you've heard about here. And I know you've prayed for me and sent us so many encouraging emails. Thank you. We truly are a family and I will really miss all of you, but you can still find me at JanetMefford.com. So I just want to encourage you from 2 Timothy 4, no matter what the future holds, I would implore you to keep fighting the good fight, finish the course, keep the faith. Thank you again for listening to Janet Mefford today and God bless. From Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine comes American Underdog. 
Undrafted out of college, quarterback Kurt Warner found himself stocking grocery shelves while trying to hold on to his dream to play in the NFL. I have been working for this my entire life. God is going to do something great with you. Based on the true story, American Underdog, rated PG. Panel guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere now. More information is available at AmericanUnderdogInspires.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, this is an incredible story. Peter Yashik spent 445 days in prison in Sudan. He had been over in Sudan trying to help persecuted Christians and ended up being persecuted himself. He tells this really incredible story in the new book, Imprisoned with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil. Peter, before we went to the break, you were talking about the fact that you had been in Sudan for this four-day trip, and then you tried to leave. You were trying to help out you know, the church in Sudan, and you were trying to leave, and you were stopped at the airport, what happened? What did they say to you? You know, they uh, spoke very broken English, and, uh, you know, they just say, Sudan security, follow us. So, I mean, at first I didn't see anything strange in it, so I followed them, but they took my cell phone, laptop camera, video camera, all my equipment, my external hard drives, so everything I had in my computer uh, back. And, uh, you know, they... Uh, as I said, they were uh, speaking very bad English, so I started to speak, uh, you know, other languages that I'm speaking, French, German, Russian. I know that uh, the Sudanese police uh, have been trained in uh, Russia also, so they didn't speak uh, any of these languages. But then they called their supervisor who spoke English, and uh, then I missed my flight. You know, of course, uh, I was transferred to uh, the... Uh, headquarters of secret police where I was interrogated for nearly 24 hours Ugh. and that was uh, that was something that uh, when I saw them filling some papers I was quite sure that this would not be a hotel reservation at that time so they took me to the first out of the five different prisons that I went through in the coming 445 days uh, first four months were actually uh, mainly for interrogations, uh, several interrogations by secret police. Uh, and then they brought me before the judge where I uh, heard the crimes that I was accused uh, uh, for. And that was like seven different articles, but two of them, the first like espionage and trying to overthrow the regime in Sudan, uh, I was actually facing death penalty for that. And I have to say that when I heard you know, through the interpreter the death penalty, it was something that kind of changed my uh, uh, view on the whole situation. I realized it's getting really serious. Yeah. And after this, I was transferred to another prison. And then, you know, another four months of very long and detailed prosecution by uh, the prosecutors, you know, preparing the court case. And after eight months, eventually, we were brought before the court. But the court case lasted six months. Uh, you know, at that time when we went through the court uh, hearings, uh, you know, it was a kind of a sort of tragic comedy, you know, actually, sometimes the power went off and everything had to be adjourned. Uh, you know, it, it just reminded me some of the political uh, court uh, sessions uh, that uh, they did in communist Czechoslovakia in 1950s. <laughs> uh, but at the end of that, I was sentenced to life imprisonment. Uh, I somehow expected that because the way how they portrayed us to the pro-government newspapers was obvious that they will punish us uh, severely. And my two Sudanese brothers, they were sentenced to 12 years of prison. 
But, you know, the Lord was in control, and that's something that people who will read my book, Imprisoned with ISIS, um, uh, faced, uh, in the face of evil, will realize from the very first pages of the book, the miraculous way and the supernatural way, how the Lord was preparing me for that time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was in control till the last day of prison. And uh, that's a wonderful thing uh, to know. Uh, and uh, I would say that... Uh, uh, the same President Bashir who marked me as a criminal that needed to be punished, uh, he was the one who actually pardoned me within a month after I was sentenced to life imprisonment. You know, we read in the book of Proverbs that the Lord is directing the heart of the king like the river or riverbed of the river that in the direction he wants. Uh, I give credit to the Lord and, uh, of course, the prayers of many faithful believers who were faithfully praying for me, and they were not only praying, they were also doing something. They were signing uh, different letters and sending them to various Sudanese embassies around the world. They were signing online petition. In fact, there was one petition organized by the NGO uh, from Spain, Citizen Go, uh, that uh, collected nearly half a million of signatures from all over the world, demanding our release. Amazing. And the Lord is the one when he uh, opens, no one can close. And that was what happened. And, uh, you know, till the last moment, I could clearly see the Lord being in control. Well, it's amazing. The whole story is just incredible. Like you said, how the Lord prepared you and how you took every opportunity that you had to share the gospel. When you're talking about being imprisoned with ISIS, though, that's a particularly difficult situation. That's an understatement, really, what you went through, because you had these, you know, radical Muslim men who made you, what, turn toward the toilet when they were doing their prayers. They eventually beat you, didn't they? And, and some terrible things were done to you. How did you endure all of that? You know, I the the first uh, and the hardest lessons uh, lesson that I have learned of all the lessons that I learned during these 445 days was uh, that the Lord's strength can be manifested in our weaknesses. That's what Paul talks about in Second Corinthians 12:10. Right. When I am weak, then I'm strong. You know, I lost within the first uh, three months, like. Uh, 55 pounds of my body weight. <sighs> Within the first month, I have lost literally half of my blood through internal bleeding. So being malnourished, heavily an anemic, uh, you know, I appear to be at the bottom of my physical as well as emotional strength. And yet in this, you know, when I was really concerned about my mental health, and not that much about my life like mental health, I was praying and asking the Lord, please keep my mind sound. And yet, in this, in this weakness, I was able to share the gospel with these ISIS guys, pray for them, and not only share the gospel with words, but also with my attitude. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Lord Jesus said, that we should uh, turn up the other cheek when they beat us uh, into one. And I can tell you honestly, that's not my normal nature, but that was not me. It was Jesus in me mm -hmm. who was able to turn uh, my other cheek uh, when they were beating me. But you should understand that these people were young people who could be my sons, highly educated from various countries. And, you know, like, for instance, one of them was uh, a Libyan guy who at the age of 12 was a personal bodyguard of Osama bin Laden oh, in Tora wow. wow. And he was highly respected by all of them. They used to call him a man of sword. Uh, 
Uh, and, you know, I thought it was because of him being a bodyguard of Osama, but later on, when he was transferred to the neighboring cell, I found out the true reason why he was called Man of Sword. He was one of the murderers who beheaded the 20 Coptic and one African Christian in Libya in the beginning of February 2015. A few months later, he shared the cell with me, and he was threatening me also, but the Lord gave me the, this special grace also to share the gospel with him and to pray. And my prayers, you know, Christianity is the only religion that is teaching its followers to love their enemies. We read it in, for instance, uh, Matthew 5:44. But I say to you, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. So I always encourage people not to be filled with hatred, you know, when they read my book, but filled with prayers for those who need to know Jesus as their Lord Savior and God. And I also encourage people to pray for those six ISIS members who shared with me the cell, who were slandering me, beating me, and torturing me. But the Lord has delivered me from their midst, you know, when they were just about to start torturing me with waterboarding. And, you know, that was a moment when I had the feeling like Daniel, when he was taken out of a lion's den. The only difference was that uh, we read in the Bible that the Lord has kept the mouth of the lions shut. But their mouths were widely open in shock when I was taken from their midst. And, you know, they could not believe that I was taken. Uh, and that was how the Lord has rescued me and later on used me to share the gospel with many other people in the following prisons. That's just amazing. How do you look back on that experience, having been released a few years ago now? How has it changed you as a Christian? I'm sure there are many, uh, many ways, but w- if you were to pick one particular way in which the Lord has transformed yeah, yeah. you. Uh, in Isaiah, I think 48.10, it says, Behold, I have refined and tested you in the furnace of affliction. You know, if you come through any type of suffering and persecution, uh, it's like a refining furnace, you know. And of course, you know, Bible talks about uh, refining his people through fire, fire of affliction. And, uh, you know, there is uh, certainly the main point of uh, uh, putting uh, these pe- uh, us as people into this trial is that, like with the, uh, there's similarity with the precious metals, you know, the re- the point of uh, melting and refining uh, the precious metals in fire is that they will get rid of everything that is not genuine. So I can honestly say that uh, I got rid of everything that was not genuine in my life. And it's not always the things that you could do and you are not supposed to do, but it's also that you are supposed to do certain things and you are not doing them. First of all, you know, I was also uh, convicted by the Holy Spirit when I realized how people were praying for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people can read about that in my book, you know, how I could... Uh, uh, experience the effects of prayers of many people. Uh, so I got convicted, for instance, by Holy Spirit, how often someone asked me to pray for him. And I said, yes, yes, uh, you know, I will keep you in my prayers. This is kind of just a normal Christian social phrase to say, I will keep you in my prayers. But I realized that when I say that, it means that I will fervently for, pray for that person. And I said, I, when I will be released, I will encourage many other people 
to uh, pray for our brothers and sisters who are going through persecution, because I have uh, experienced the direct effects of their prayers. Oh, my goodness. What, what a lesson to learn and a difficult way to learn it. But it's just an encouraging story. It's a hard story. It's a difficult story for those of us who have never walked where you've walked. But I think that this is going to be a lifeline for Christians in the future. I really do. It's called Imprisoned with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil. And it's from Peter Yashik. Just so good to have you here, Peter. God bless you. And thank you so much for sharing your story. God bless you too. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested, now playing. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. If you have ever read through the entire book of Joshua, you'll know about a particular chapter that is especially striking, and that is chapter 7, the account of Achan's sin. Now, what does that account have to do with us? What does it say to us about the seriousness of sin and the importance of repentance? And what does it say about God's grace to us in Jesus Christ? These are all very important questions, and we're going to talk about it today with Matthew Lemaster, who is pastor of Southern Heights Christian Church in Anderson, Indiana, also an editor at Theology Magazine, and his book, which we will be discussing, is called Of Guilt and Grace, 10 Lessons from Aiken About Sin and Salvation. Matthew, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Janet, thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor, and uh, I love your show, and I'm excited to uh, talk about an important topic. Oh, you're so nice. It's my honor to have you here. Thank you so much for doing it, really. You know, I'm glad to see your book, and because uh, the reason I'm saying that is because I think Aiken is kind of an underreported character in Scripture, but such an (laughs) important, don't you think? I mean, but so important to this topic of sin, and I'm wondering how you decided we, we really need to go back and look at Aiken when we're examining the topic of sin? <laughs> well, uh, that's such a good question, and you're so right. Um, most I'm, most people don't, you know, the average Christian probably doesn't know the story, um, or if they do, they don't really understand it, or they maybe, you know, I talk to people all the time who say they've never even heard a sermon on it. Wow. And uh, there's a, 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 I was preaching through the book of Joshua a number of years ago, and, um, you know, I was preaching through it, and I, uh, you know, when you're preaching, you're looking a couple weeks ahead, ideally. And so I was preaching, and I was thinking, oh, no, chapter 7 is coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to preach that. And um, But I got to it, and, you know, what is, what's in my book is largely, um, a lot of it had its genesis in that sermon that I preached. And I had so many people from our church um, that came up to me after that sermon and they just thanked me for it more than they usually do and they um they were so grateful for it and i thought you know what a shame that so many people skip over the maybe more difficult or tough passages in scripture like this one because it's through that difficulty that you get to the good stuff yes and it's through that um it's through the, the it's by climbing up the mountain that you get the view 
And uh, until you're willing to work through those tough passages, you're you're missing out on what God has for you. Yeah. That's kind of a little bit of the, how I got to um, write on this story in particular. Um, you know, but I, I think the doctrines of sin and the biblical teaching on sin is so undertaught today, and it's a travesty, and um, it is, um, frankly, it's just damnable, yep. and it's. Yeah. It's it's awful. It so is. That's, that's that's a pressing concern in my mind, also behind the book. Oh, absolutely. You couldn't be more right about that. So without going into Joshua 7 and reading every single part of it, because I don't want to take too much time away from talking about your <laughs> book, let's summarize here, because here's Aiken. The Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. So they had gotten the spoils right. of war here. Aiken right. had taken some of the booty for himself and hid it in his tent. But he was one of the leaders here of the tribe of Judah. To what extent does that weigh in on the seriousness of his sin? Oh, I, I think it weighs in. Uh, there's so many ways that it weighs in. You know, he if you think of him, he was an example to a lot of the younger people um, in his tribe. You know, they're young, they're young men in my church, and it's my joy to pastor them. And uh, I, one of the things that I try to encourage is the, the older guys to kind of take those younger guys under their wing and kind of work with them. And uh, you, you think of like an older gentleman um, who everything we know about Aiken, he was a, uh, a war hero. He was a family man. He was respected. He was esteemed. And so you think of the, the next generation underneath him that they could easily follow his example into sin. But you also think of his own family um, and how he led them. I, I really believe he led them into destruction, led his own tribe into destruction, um, which in turn had an effect on the rest of Israel. So I, I think the fact that he, it wasn't just that he was somebody who sinned, although that in itself is significant, but you're so right um, that it's because he was a, a leader that fell into sin. Yeah. And that that uh, was foreboding for the rest of the nation. Well, and it did not end well for him. This, I mean, this is the point. <laughs> he eventually yeah. admits that he did what he did, but he ends up getting stoned. And I know anytime stoning is involved, it's very upsetting even for Christians to discuss it because they think that's just not polite. Oh, yeah. We don't want to go back to those uh, unpleasant passages in the Old Testament. But we have to because right. this was such an offense unto the Lord that this oh, was the right. appropriate punishment. Explain that, though, for modern ears to hear, well, he came forward and he admitted that he did it, why was the punishment for Aiken so severe? Yeah, well, it's such a good question. Uh, maybe we should start with what, so what Aiken did was a sin, and um, maybe we should, uh, you know, start just by unpacking what it means to sin. Good. Um, I grew up in, in a really very borderline fundamentalist <laughs> uh, background, and that's probably why I get so grouchy today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but where we uh, we would memorize, you know, the Ten Commandments, and we had catechism, and we'd, we'd have to recite the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And so I, I think maybe people who have that background, we tend to think, oh, that's what sin is. It's breaking one of the laws. And it is that. I mean, Aiken... He lied, he stole, he murdered, he was unfaithful to the Lord, he basically committed idolatry. There's all these things that he did do. So it's not that he didn't break the law, because he absolutely did. But it's also that he—it's also—the problem with sin is not what we do to sin. The problem with sin is who we sin against. Yes. And so 
um, it wasn't just that Aiken wronged his brothers, although that would have been serious and egregious. Um, it was that he he wronged the God of Israel, you know. And so sin is cosmic. R.C. Sproul said sin is cosmic treason. Yep. It is shaking your fist at the creator of all things, um, seen and unseen. And so to... Uh, for for Aiken to for anybody to sin, but especially for a- for Aiken, it's not just that he did something wrong; it's who he did something wrong to. Yes, and, and so sin has this. It, it's not done in a vacuum. You know, it's it takes place between us and God, and because God is infinite, the consequences for our sin is infinite. Right. So that is that is the the serious nature behind sin. Um, as, as far as well, what, well, and you said that, I think that's such a question that people have when they come to this passage is, well, he came forward. <laughs> Why did it, he get let off the hook? Um, I, I, there's a difference between coming forward because you feel uh, your conscience pricked, and there's a difference between coming forward and because you have a heart change, and between coming forward because you're, you know, you've been caught. Right. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> That's yeah, I, I, Jenna, I don't know if you have children, but uh, you see this a lot with kids. Oh, like, yeah. They're, yes. Not, yes. they're not sorry that they, what they did. <laughs> they're sorry that they got caught. Yes. Um, and I think that was the situation. At any point, Aiken could have stepped forward yeah. um, with what he did. Yes. He could have stepped forward before his sin led to other people's death. He could have stepped forward when, after it led to other people's death, he could have stepped forward um, during the day of mourning. He, he could have stepped forward at any point, but he basically waited until the last possible moment. Right. It wasn't until there was. It wasn't until people basically already knew something had happened that he admitted what happened. Yeah. Um, even then, it, it, even then, I think if he would have had heart change, he could have been forgiven. <laughs> but he, there's no there's no indication in the Bible that he was actually repentant. Yeah. Um, and it seems that he was stubborn and resistant until the end. Well, it does. Now, it, it does. You're, you're right yeah, about that. Yeah, no, and I am a mother, so I understand four kids. So I could completely <laughs> understand what you're talking about there. When the fine, I did it. You know, we understand getting caught and being repentant are not necessarily the same things. And, it, you Too know, different. Two different things. There are two totally different things. And and this brings us to another important part of this entire discussion, and that is repentance leading us to God's forgiveness. We're going to come back with Matthew LeMaster of Guilt and Grace is his book. You're listening to Janet Mufford today, and we'll be right back. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody said. This is the end of the story of a young mom who planned to end her pregnancy but chose life after visiting a preborn center. Preborn steps into the lives of hurting young women who are being told that a preborn baby is not a life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct answer to Planned Parenthood, helping young moms choose life. I feel like it was meant for me to have this baby. This is something God gave me for a reason. You can be a part of choosing life with young hurting women across the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 
save 400 babies by the end of the year? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now, through a match, your gift of $140 will actually help save 10 babies instead of five. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers around the world for only $5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800 Y E S W O R D. That's 800 Yes Word, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. That's 800 Y E S W O R D, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. So good to have you with us and great to have with us Matthew Lemaster. He's pastor of Southern Heights Christian Church in Anderson, Indiana, and author of Of Guilt and Grace, 10 Lessons from Aiken about sin and salvation, taking us back to the book of Joshua. Always important to go back and reread it if you haven't read it recently. This is a very important passage and one, Matthew, which you pointed out, is not often preached upon. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on Aiken's sin. This is important. This is a really, really important subject. But on the issue of sin, you have a lot to say when you're going through your different lessons and people can read about it in your book. But one of the first things you say is that sin is anything but simple. You know, we we have this mindset. What I do is just going to be done and then no one will know and hopefully no one will find out. And if somebody does find out, I'm just going to kind of minimize it or dodge or what have you. What do you see in the story of Aiken about the complexity of sin, that it's not simple. It's not just a matter of I will disobey God and I'll just move on with my life. Oh, that's such a good question, Janet. Thank you again for having me on. Sure. Uh, and I think it's something that we don't recognize enough, um, is how how complex and how variegated and how far sin spreads. You know, if you, for example, if you, um, it, one of the reasons it's important for young, un, uh, for couples who are engaged to go to premarital counseling, <laughs> to realize just how deep their sin patterns are, right. um, and a good and good premarital counseling, you will they they'll be able to confront some of that in themselves and in the, their spouse. But you can always tell when um, a couple has not gotten the most out of premarital counseling that they could have, because four or five years after they get married, if it takes that long, you just see the complete breakdown of their lives as their as their their sin leads them to, um, into their further into themselves and they feel more lonely than they ever thought they could. Hmm. Well, if you dissect that and you say, okay, well, who's at fault in this marriage? Is it the husband or the wife? Well, I, I've yet, and I know there are some, so I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I've yet to see the situation where it's either, or it's typically both in. And then you unveil, you unpack that farther and you start to see patterns of, 
behavior patterns of sin that go back generations and generations. And yet, when we talk about sin, so that so there you have parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, cousins, spouses, in-laws, the kids, the dogs, yeah. <laughs> not the dogs, but <laughs> you know, all of it, all of that, all of those individuals have sin that's getting put into the pot and stewing together, right. and and that boils over into the lives of everyone who's near. But when we when we talk about sin. We just talk about it in such simple terms, we and we uh, we don't take the time to unpack it and, and parse it. You know, my my dad always has a my my dad always has a good saying about when um, you, you talk to someone, and he says, "Never trust um, what a divorcee has to say about their spouse or <laughs> about their ex." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's one of his, his little proverbs. Um, because they will only see what the other person did wrong, but they'll never see what they did wrong. Sure. And uh, I, I mean, there's so many life situations where you could unpack that. Yeah. But I think that that um, we we think about sin in such simple terms, but it's not. It's so complex, and we have to take the time to parse it out and figure it out. Oh, for sure. I, you know, and this issue of admitting your sin versus repenting for your sin, we think a lot about David and David, what right. he did, having Uriah killed and committing adultery with Bathsheba and his child died. And, you know, against you only, only you only have I sinned. You know, we, we see this as a marvelous example of true repentance, and it was. But what, what do we need to talk about more in the church when we look at the lack of preaching on sin, the lack of confession of sin, the lack of really taking sin as seriously as we ought to take it as believers in Jesus Christ? How do we remedy that? I mean, I know it's simple in a sense that we just need to understand we are sinners, even though we are forgiven through Jesus Christ and his shed blood and his resurrection. We understand God's grace in Jesus Christ, but we still need to be cognizant of sin because we, we're continually having to repent, not only to the Lord, but also to other people. How do we get back to that, this this old paths view of sin? Oh, oh such a good question. And you're, you're right, it is kind of an older, an older path, but a, well, a well-trod path, but a, a good one. Um, I, you know, first, I think maybe we should just say the importance of why, why if, it, if, if sin is really what it is, what we said it is, and what the Bible says it is, and if sin is so difficult and complex, what's what's the benefit of even going into detail and figuring this out? And um, the reality is, uh, until you understand just how deep your sin is, and it's deeper than we know, and until you understand that, um, you will never understand salvation. Amen. So until we really understand where we're at fault, um, until we really understand just how guilty we are, then we will never understand what it what it was that God forgave us in Christ. Hmm. That's right. And, and I think we have to start there. It, we're not. I'm not a. I'm not a masochist, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm not like a gloomy Gus, and I I um, I don't just like beating up on people all the time. But the reality is you can't give people good news until they recognize just how bad the situation really is. Yes, right. And so I think people, I think to remedy it, the first step has to be we have to recognize that if we really want to preach the gospel, if we really want to see uh, 
here's an old an old paths word that doesn't get tossed around as much today. So we really want to see revival in our churches um, and in our nation, and we want to see people repent and turn to the Lord. If we want to see that for our for our children um, and for our grandchildren, we have to. If we really want to see the gospel bear fruit, we have to talk about sin because yeah. until we understand just how deep sin is, we never understand just how good salvation is. Right. Oh, amen. Um, that's perfect. I mean, yeah. that's exactly what we learn in Scripture when it talks about the fact that the law was given so we would know what sin was, and it's a school teacher to lead us to Christ. And it's the basics, yeah. but boy, do we need to go back to the basics because in a lot of contexts, all we're hearing is a lot of self-help drivel, and that can have a, oh, yeah. you know, you, you can have a plate and turn on Dr. Phil for five minutes and you might get something out of it, but that's a far cry from the kind of biblical preaching that we need to hear every week when we go to church, whether it's, you know, whether it's in Old Testament preaching and talking about uh, someone like Achan or whether it's talking about the woman caught in adultery. We have to really wrestle with this, that we are saved by grace. And this brings us to the important point that you cover in the book, which is grace is available every step of the way. And I love what you say. This is the way you put it in your book. You said our God is not just a God who pardons sinners. He's a God who pursues sinners. Can you talk about that just for a minute or two? Because I just I can't get over Jesus. I really can't. And every every time I get a good reminder yeah. like that i'm so thankful well thank you well thank you and i i appreciate that i um even talking about all that god has done for me kind of gives me gives me goosebumps <laughs> um you know i one of the things that's dev the, the most devastating thing to me about aiken's story um it's not just what he did. It's not that he didn't come forward. It's not that his confession was insincere. Although all, all of that is just awful and all the consequences that his sin had on his family and on his friends and on his country. Um, it's that I, I genuinely believe that even before Aiken was, um, had done this, that God had given specific instructions for someone who broke the law um, like he did. He gave very specific instructions in the Old Testament on how to deal with that. And the, the most tragic thing about that is that Achan didn't want it. There was salvation, there was grace, there was forgiveness there. And Achan didn't want it. Um, and what God was doing by bringing Achan's sin out into the open was trying to offer that to him, and Aiken turned his back on it. Mm. And I, I can't, you know, I, I can't help but think probably there are people who, who are listening to the show right now who um, maybe they, they've been caught by their spouse or um, their, some patterns of behavior in their own lives are coming out that they didn't even think about, or um, they're... They, their dirty dealings at work or, or something has come out about them. That's God's grace. That's God showing us um, our need for salvation. Yeah. And the reality is we're meant to learn from Aiken's example, not that we repeat what he did, but so that we do the thing that he did. So um, that we, yeah. Not that so we take salvation that he wouldn't take. And that's my hope. Yes. Um, for anyone who's listening to this or anyone who reads this book. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. But again, the name of the book is Of Guilt and Grace 10 Lessons from Aiken about sin and salvation by Pastor Matthew Lemaster. It was so great to have you here, Matthew. Great book. And it was just wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Janet. Such a privilege. Oh, you're welcome. God bless you.
Thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer Today, and we will see you next time. This hour of Janet Meffer Today has been brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, now playing.